You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is still saying very little about a double homicide in Richmond on Friday. Angela Jung is live in the neighborhood for us tonight. Residents are still in shock there and asking for help in finding whoever is responsible. Angela. Chris, Sophie, people cannot fathom why anybody would want to target members of this family. I'm told that people in the neighborhood started putting up posters like the one you see behind me, trying to generate tips for police. A neighborhood in shock, searching for answers. Several posters hung near the home of a gruesome murder. This poster says an innocent boy and his father were killed. We need help finding out who did this. I did hear a, a woman like crying or like seemingly, um, yeah, probably mother and wife. A 46-year-old man and his 13-year-old son were killed Thursday night. Homicide detectives say no one else was home at the time of the killings. Neighbors say a family of five lives here, parents with their three young sons. In a statement, the school community says, we are deeply saddened by the loss of a student in the Richmond School District. The district's crisis response team will be supporting the school, family and community affected by this tragedy. A property search reveals Derek and Meng Chen are the homeowners. A GoFundMe, which has already raised more than $24,000, lists the beneficiary as Pearl Chen. The homicide detectives say the father was not known to them and there are no indications this was gang related. What I can say is we believe this to be targeted and what I mean by that is we believe that someone attended that residence with the intention of committing a murder. Beyond that, um, until we determine a motive, until we determine uh, a suspect, uh, I can't comment on exactly what the intent was. Next to the home is a pathway that leads to the Rocky View playground and London sports fields. If you did see something strange, somebody hanging around that didn't seem to belong there, please do contact the Richmond RCMP or I hit immediately. Knowing that someone is still at large is pretty scary. I hit is hoping the public can help them catch the killer by sending dash cam videos of the area or tips. They've had three days. Let's hope some tips come in. Do we know how the rest of the family is doing tonight, Angela? Chris, they are suffering unimaginable losses, and I'm hearing that family from out of the country is on their way here to support them. And even though the crime scene tape is now gone, I'm also told that the mother and two boys have been staying with loved ones. Chris, Sophie? All right, Angela Jung reporting for us tonight. Thanks, Angela. Well, the flooding has begun across parts of the province as an atmospheric river brings heavy rain and it's prompted the closure of Highway 1 through the Fraser Canyon this evening. The closure starts tonight at 7 o'clock between Boothroyd, north of Boston Bar, and Siska, south of Lytton. The province says the closure is a precautionary measure in case heavy rain overwhelms the area which was affected by the Kukupi Creek wildfire this summer. The highway will remain closed along that stretch until an assessment can be conducted mid-morning on Tuesday. And our Grace Key is live in Burnaby in an area we often see flooding when it rains this hard. Grace, what has been the impact so far on the lower mainland? 
Yeah, we're just near Low Heed where it, the rain just continues to come down. It started coming down hard in the, later on this afternoon and just hasn't let up, of course, as everyone is trying to get home. And as you'd expect, we are getting reports of some localized flooding. So in downtown Vancouver, just on the north end of the Granville Street Bridge, that area is certainly getting hit hard with traffic trying to go through. In Surrey's Fraser Heights, a duck pond just on 104th near Fraser Glen Drive is spilling over to 104th Street, so you want to watch out for that area. And of course, as we've been driving around town, we've seen a lot of people getting out those rakes and trying to clear those stone drains. And certainly municipalities and provinces trying to prepare as well at Locarno Beach in Vancouver. Sandbags line a section of the area. Staff also regularly removed debris from the, breach, the beaches. The province also making preparations, including getting ready to deploy as many as 4 million sandbags to protect homes and public buildings. They're getting ready to move 10 kilometers of wall-like structures filled with sand and 32 kilometers of tiger dams. Those are those stackable orange tubes that are filled with water. The River Forecast Centre is also monitoring weather patterns and river conditions. Well, we're seeing this uh, atmospheric river now tracking across British Columbia, particularly along the south coast. Uh, and so in anticipation of some fairly heavy rainfalls we go through today uh, into the night, um, we do have a number of advisories up, high stream flow advisories for Vancouver Island areas into the interior, uh, and then the flood watch out for the south coast, uh, lower mainland, uh, and into the lower Fraser region. And as always, municipalities asking people to safely try and remove any debris around those storm drains. Of course, this rain is expected to be continuing overnight. And will we be uh, continuing to monitor the situation throughout the evening? Back to you. All right. Thanks for that, Grace Key and Burnaby. We have one person whose job it is to monitor <laughs> all this. So we'll bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for more on how long it's going to last and how it could impact the morning rush tomorrow, Yvonne. Yeah, it's been busy in the Weather Centre and it's all courtesy of this atmospheric river and it's a soaker right now. It'll be heavy at times. Do keep in mind the areas of concern leading in towards the morning commute will be for the Fraser Valley. Eastern regions will see that heavy rain overnight and then continuing towards the morning hours. And then along coastal regions, we'll actually start to see it taper off as we get in towards the afternoon. Now, here's that swath of moisture subtropical it is going to be mild the freezing level also rising a significant amount of rain though is going to be along the western edge of the island between 100 and 150 millimeters most areas for us along the lower mainland extending into Howe Sound between 50 and up to 100 another area along the northern half of the province inland up to 60 and still very windy with wind warnings that are in effect along the northern tip of Vancouver Island and the central coast gusts of up to 110 kilometers per hour it is a mixed bag though if you're traveling along the mountain passes risk of freezing rain a few spots could be tracking snow i'll have that coming up shortly chris all right we'll check in later thanks yvonne the public health agency of canada says the number of positive tests for influenza confirms flu season is officially underway as richard zussman reports bc pharmacists say if you haven't already done so now is the time to roll up your sleeve and get vaccinated a call to arms to get a shot in the arm. It's not too late to get vaccinated uh, against circulating viruses, things like flu and COVID. Pharmacists in BC sounding the alarm. Flu activity is up. Now crossing the threshold indicating influenza season has started. And if you haven't been vaccinated yet, now is the time. Some people think that uh, flu vaccines are only, uh, only in October, uh, but certainly there's still lots of time to protect yourself. Uh, it takes about two weeks to get full protection. While COVID-19 cases are down compared to a few weeks ago, influenza is up and so is RSV. 
although the cases still are nowhere near where they were a year ago. Every British Columbian should be aware that our health care system is under significant strain. We do not need people in our emergency rooms uh, who uh, would have been prevented from being there if they'd just gotten a COVID or a flu vaccine. Health Minister Adrian Dick says BC leads the way Canada-wide when it comes to both COVID and flu shots. Having started the campaign nine days earlier than any other province, largely through pharmacies here. But the holidays bring extra urgency. I think it's a really good time to get vaccinated now in, in, in advance of uh, Christmas parties, in advance of New Year's parties. People come together, different places is a very good time. Last week, 8% of all emergency room visits were with respiratory symptoms. With the holidays ahead and healthcare workers planning to take some time away, the province bracing for even more pressure in the healthcare system. It's always a challenge. Like we, we've hi we're hiring record numbers of people in our healthcare system as well. Uh, record numbers of people are off sick in a general sense. And so we always want, it's a reason why we always want people to... Uh, to increase vaccination. Pharmacists say this is also a good time to consider updating other vaccines, including shots you pay for to help prevent shingles. And the province confident there is enough vaccine, including COVID and flu, for everyone who wants one. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. Just a few months after opening its doors, more than 90 people have gone through the Road to Recovery treatment program. The program is designed to fill gaps in the existing addiction care models. The Road to Recovery model is built around newly built detox and recovery beds at St. Paul's Hospital. And what sets this program apart is it ties each individual's treatment to a small team of clinicians and peer counselors before they move on to outpatient care with access to ongoing health and social supports. We've had more than 90 people uh, go through this program already. Uh, the detox beds uh, opened in September, the community transition beds in October, and already um, these beds are saving lives. When you have uh, peer support come in, usually it's a person who has been where they're at and they walk in the room and they start that conversation up and immediately the person kind of feels a lot more comfortable and they feel like they can be themselves. And then uh, as a result, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they stay, maybe, uh, and maybe it works that time. The program will expand to 95 treatment beds by March of 2025. One of the biggest barriers to treatment is poverty. So the idea of paying drug users to complete treatment has a lot of merit, according to experts. And today, a huge private donation is funding a pilot project to incentivize treatment and reward recovery. Kristen Robinson reports. Matt Liepka says a $600 a month cash incentive for treatment is intriguing. It's definitely not easy and that would help for sure. As you can see, it's not very uh, great out here. The idea of paying vulnerable users $20 a day to complete up to 90 days of treatment first proposed by Guy Felicella last year. Now, thanks to half a million dollars from an anonymous donor, who wants to make recovery more appealing for those struggling with poverty and homelessness, an incentivized treatment pilot project will launch in the new year. You know, it just changed my whole life, and so to give people that opportunity now really makes it, uh, you know, I'm happy that uh, for people that want to go that, that, that this is an option for them. St. Paul's addiction medicine specialist Dr. Paxton Bach says the program will start with 20 to 30 clients focusing on those with opioid use disorder and in line with the work of the hospital's Road to Recovery Ward. 
Bach says poverty has prevented some from accessing evidence-based treatment programs. The scope of what we're pr- proposing here has never been done before, to my knowledge, anywhere in North America, and I think really represents a very groundbreaking investment that really has the capacity to change the landscape of addiction treatment, not just here in Vancouver and B.C., but really um, to echo across North America. The Overdose Prevention Society supports anything that would make it easier for people to try recovery. We want to make sure that there's no barriers to it, whether it be money. We think that this is a great program and I really hope that it helps people uh, stay in detox. I think the sky's the limit for the concept. While the pilot will be small, Bach says it'll allow them to refine the glitches as they work to build something much more significant. It's not working right now, so <laughs> something like that could, could work a lot better. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Arrangements on when patients will receive their payment will be worked out on an individual basis. Well, after a year of increasing concerns around violent repeat offenders and calls for action, Ottawa has passed a long-awaited bail reform bill. Our Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria with more and what this new law means for B.C. Keith. Yeah, finally is the operative word here, Sophie. B.C. and Ontario in particular have been pushing Ottawa to amend the criminal code to change the bail reform uh, uh, situation. And then finally, the Senate has signed off on it late last week. And today, Premier David Eby wading into it yet again for the first time since that uh, Senate uh, passed it. And again, expressing frustration why it's taken so long to change the rules so keep violent offenders behind bars. Here's the Premier. We've been uh, pushing for a while uh, for the federal government uh, to amend uh, the rules around bail, especially in the situation of repeat violent offenders, someone who commits a violent offense, uh, they're waiting for trial, uh, and then uh, they're released back into the community. We've had several high-profile examples that are very disturbing to British Columbians and, frankly, corrosive to their confidence in the justice system. It's not what was intended by the federal government's changes, but it has been the result and so they need to fix it. Uh, It has been frustrating to me that it has taken so long to get to this point. Uh, These rules need to be implemented. They need to be available to judges so that they can keep people safe uh, and uh, make sure the violent offenders are not re-released back to community. So this changes the rules and it puts some new responsibilities on judges. The big one is the reverse onus provision, which means repeat violent offenders will show reason why they should be released uh, on bail rather than the presumption being released without making that case. And we'll see how judges interpret that. Last week, Attorney General Nikki Sharma, critical of some judges on their handling of sexual assault cases. Uh, We'll see what the judiciary does with the new bail reform uh, rules and whether the B.C. government likes what they see. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right. One of the fastest-growing cities in the region pumps the brakes on some massive neighborhood developments. Why the township of Langley is reconsidering its plan to build so many new homes. Next on the NewsHour. Oshawa police solved the case of the escaped kangaroo. That's still to come tonight. And the fire truck of the future is already here. What makes this new Vancouver fire rescue rig so special? Coming up later on the NewsHour. Right now, though, Langley Township is looking to repeal plans involving several neighborhoods if the province's housing legislation goes ahead. Aaron MacArthur is live with more on the concerns and what council is considering. Aaron. Yeah, Chris, so council tonight voted 8-1 in favor of considering to repeal the official community plans for three areas in South Langley. 
these plants took almost a decade to come to fruition and, and would have involved housing for about 47,000 people at completion. The province came in this fall with Bill 44, though, which mandated multiplexes on every lot in every city province-wide. The Township Council says that would increase the population of these area, areas by more than double, maybe 115,000 over the next 30 years. Without the commensurate services, no schools, no par or not enough schools, not enough parks, sewer and water issues. So Council wants to kick this back to the public so they can have a say in what their communities look like. We looked at our community from a balanced point of view, uh, Willoughby to South Langley, you know, with 2,800 acres of greenfield area to develop. And we look at that holistically, and uh, we have to relook at that based upon Bill 44. This greenfield urban land, uh, you know, we really need to develop it correctly and develop it the right way with a park and school planning process. And, uh, you know, that's challenging to do when existing areas like those are so impacted by Bill 44. So it's on hold for a little bit. When does this come back to council? Yeah, Chris, this will be back at council sometime in the new year. After Bill 44 passes the legislature in Victoria, there's an exemption that might be on the books. Metro Vancouver has asked for existing subdivisions to be exempt from the new rules. The housing minister not taking, uh, making any favours in, in terms of that, saying that multiplexes are a more efficient way to use those services and plans to push ahead. Either way, big changes coming to neighborhoods yeah. near you over the next little while for sure. Aaron, thank you very much. The provincial government says BC's speculation and vacancy tax has been successful in creating affordable housing throughout the province. According to new data, the province says the tax has helped turn empty units into new homes. The tax raised $81 million in 2022. More than 99% of homeowners in BC are exempt from paying the tax, with principal residences and residences occupied by a tenant being the top two exemptions claimed. The number of exemption applications has grown by more than 30,000, which the province says indicates the tax is leading to an increase in available long-term housing. And a new report from Desjardins indicates short-term rentals likely contributed to the housing affordability crisis here in Canada and around the world. Platforms like Airbnb and Verbo reduced the number of units available for long-term rentals, which significantly impacted the availability and affordability of homes. The report cites data from analytics firm AirDNA, which found the country's two largest platforms have 235,000 unique and active listings, which is 1.4% of the country's housing stock. Just ahead, the big burnout in firefighting. We're, we're in a crisis. The unsustainable pace of calls that has Vancouver Fire Rescue asking for some help. And the shocking close call on the Portman Bridge and how dense fog played a part. Still busy along Highway 1 eastbound through Burnaby. No actual problems this afternoon, just uh, volume and a slow at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference. When you renew your auto plan online, select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Vancouver firefighters are among the busiest in the nation and their union says the pace of calls that have nothing to do with fire is unsustainable. Too many members are suffering from burnout and the union is asking for more resources to ease the burden. Cassidy Moscone reports. 
Vancouver firefighters have a gruelling job. This year we're going to respond over 70,000 incidents in the city of Vancouver alone. That is greater than any other year pre-COVID. The work description no longer just putting out flames. Our firefighters have been on the front line of the toxic drug supply crisis since 2016. Um, this year alone, we will probably respond to nearly 8,000 overdoses. That's a 1,000 call increase since just last year. Now it's the crews who are the ones feeling burnt out. The union sounding the alarm on an unsustainable outlook. Uh, just last week we had crews uh, faced with a day where they saw 22 fires uh, in 24 hours, something that I've never seen in my career. <laughs> Just last week, Vancouver City Council voted to give Vancouver Fire and Rescue Service just under $6 million for unbudgeted overtime. The union says it will help cover firefighters away on sick leave, often for mental health reasons. The union wants more resources. On Tuesday, reps will meet with City Council as they deliberate the 2024 budget, asking for an additional fire truck in the downtown core, a move they say will see a return to staffing levels not seen since the 1980s. All the while, the complexity of the work uh, that firefighters are faced with, the growth in population and the number of incidents we respond to have grown to levels that are unsustainable. There's never enough that we can do to support the wellness of our firefighters. And we are continually, we have uh, dedicated staff committed to the well-being. Dedication firefighters will be looking to see in tomorrow's budget meeting. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. And you might have spotted it quickly in that report. Some new technology should make the job a little easier and a lot quieter. The city of Vancouver is unveiling the first electric fire truck in the country. The Austrian-built Rosenbauer RTX pumper truck cost $1.8 million and is now at Fire Hall No. 1 in Strathcona. The rest of the fire trucks in the city run on diesel, so the electric truck will reduce the carcinogens and pollutants firefighters are exposed to from vehicle exhaust. The pumper truck is also quieter, narrower and shorter. It lowers down uh, so you can get equipment off safely and easily, uh, raises up so it can go uh, four by fouring. It is a four, four by four vehicle, uh, four wheel steering, so it's, uh, firefighters have asked for uh, more um, maneuverability and smaller vehicle. It's only 92 inches wide, so it can actually uh, maneuver quite well through the city. So glad to see, in addition to this being great for the environment and sending a signal to the rest of the world that we're serious, it takes care of our members. And for that, super stoked, super happy. It's a great day in Vancouver. Vancouver Fire is now in the process of having two electric charging stations installed at Fire Hall Number 1. Coming up, new developments in the North Van overpass crash. After investigators gave up ever laying charges, what happened to the driver at the wheel when this happened? Also coming up, Oshawa police get a call they never expected, wrangling a roux on the loose. 
Want to help us spread some holiday cheer? Jason, me, and the entire Global News Morning Team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. Police and firefighters will be on hand to add your gift to a mountain of toys. And you'll get to enjoy a free breakfast. For more details, you can go to globalnews.ca slash bc. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. Good evening. It's still slow and soggy on all the major routes. So while there's no actual issues over at the Patello Bridge, traffic is getting backed up southbound at the south end due to flooding on King George Boulevard and Bridgeview. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. Nanaimo RCMP and rescue crews are searching for a missing boater. 35-year-old Ryan Pratt was reported missing by his friends Saturday, December 2nd. He lives on a sailboat that was moored off Hammond Bay. Officers say they found Pratt's skiff washed up on the shores of a nearby island. And a canoe he frequently used was also found adrift. If you have any information on Pratt's whereabouts, you are asked to contact RCMP. A trucking company says the employee who fled the scene of an overpass collision in North Vancouver was promptly fired. Whistler Courier and Freighting now says the employee was fired shortly after the September 19th crash when one of its trucks slammed into the Main Street overpass on Highway 1. The company says another employee was also terminated in relation to the bridge hit. Shortly after the crash, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming called the situation outrageous and the province suspended the license of Whistler Courier for eight days and fined the company $3,500. But North Vancouver RCMP has said the driver won't face charges for the incident. A former B.C. Environment Minister and Attorney General is helping to launch a new campaign focused on energy policy in B.C. Barry Penner will lead the new Energy Futures Initiative in collaboration with not-for-profit organization ResourceWorks. The initiative will focus on exploring the state of energy in B.C. and will highlight how different policy options impact B.C.'s climate targets. Penner says policy transparency is key to ensure steps are taken to create sustainable energy practices for years to come. But the key thing is that every option does come with some opposition. <laughs> I have uh, lots of experience uh, dealing with that for more than five years. doesn't matter what you propose, someone's going to be opposed. But we need to have an honest discussion, put the options on the table so that people can see what are the choices and what are the impacts behind those choices. Uh, there clearly are some better choices than others, and, but not everything not every option suits every situation. You have to tailor the, 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 uh, the best result or the best uh, method for the given situation that you have. Penner presented BC's first ever climate action strategy back in 2008, including North America's first ever revenue neutral carbon tax. A wild weekend escape is over for a kangaroo that was on the hop for three days in Oshawa, Ontario. It made a break for it when its handler stopped while en route to a Quebec zoo. Global's Lexi Benedict has more on the missing marsupial that didn't go down without a fight. 
After hopping wild in Oshawa for the past three days, the now famous female kangaroo is safe and sound. And then approximately 6 a.m., uh, they were able to apprehend the kangaroo in the area of Wilson and Winchester. And uh, from there, they, with the assistance of our canine unit, they were able to transport the kangaroo back to the Oshawa Zoo. Oh, we were ecstatic. Honestly, we were super happy that she was found and that she was safe. And there's a first time for everything. I can tell you, in my knowledge, in the history of the Durham Regional Police, no one has ever apprehended a kangaroo before. It's a story with a happy ending after joint forces spent the weekend tracking down the marsupial. And I'm just so glad that we had the expertise of Team Chelsea and uh, and Canine and uh, the Durham Regional Police out here to, to help us really track down this animal. So initially and, and through the weekend, we used our, our drone, um, which is a DJI M30T, which is a full infrared and thermal drone. Um, so it was able to actually locate using the kangaroo's thermal signature uh, when she was hiding in some brush alongside of one of the fields. And now we know the safest way to catch a kangaroo is to catch it by the tail. And that's what the officers were able to do and they were able to secure her until uh, our canine unit as well as uh, other officers could get there to help them out and uh, successfully transport her to the Oshawa Zoo. And the kangaroo said thank you by striking one of the officers in the face. Fortunately, Durham Regional Police and the kangaroo were left uninjured. Cameron Pridus says kangaroos can actually handle our current temperatures. And as far as food and water goes, Canada is full of fresh water and she, you know, it snowed and rained a bit, so she would have had access to that. And there's still lots of greenery all over the place here that she, she would have been able to eat. This kangaroo's wild adventure has come to an end. And now she's safe, sound and warm at the Oshawa Zoo. Lexi Benedict, Global News. They're so weird. The way they hop. <laughs> oh, they are crazy. <laughs> coming, crazy animals. Coming up, budget shopping at the Found Boutique. Welcome to Found. How spending money here can do a lot of good for those who are struggling. But first, the shocking near miss on the Portman Bridge, where a driver was lucky it was only his truck and trailer that got destroyed. From breaking news to developing stories. We have teams in the field in some of the worst hit areas of this province. Global news is as local as it gets. No one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust with the stories that matter most to British Columbians. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News. A frightening close call on the Portman Bridge was all caught on camera. Take a look. According to poster Tesla Captures, it happened last Wednesday in thick fog. A cement truck barreling along without noticing a truck and trailer stopped in the right lane. And you see a man leaping out of the way at the last second as that cement truck tries to swerve to miss the truck and trailer. The force of the collision throws the trailer toward the man, but he was lucky a second time. He walks away unhurt as the wreckage blocks traffic. RCMP, as I'm sure you can imagine, are investigating. 
We got some sunshine after that fog, and now we're deep into the rain with this atmospheric river upon us now. Yvonne's got all the details. Yvonne? Yeah, it's hard to make out the swath of moisture that's raining right across the board, all areas along the south coast. It's a soaker this evening. It'll continue to be heavy at times overnight, and then we'll start to see it tapering off as we get in towards the morning hours for tomorrow. So anticipate that, especially for the Fraser, Fraser Valley overnight tonight. We'll see some of the heavier rain moving across that region as this front passes through, and there is the atmospheric river that we've been tracking that's bringing in that subtropical moisture. It is going to be on the mild side for tomorrow. Now, we have seen the wind warnings drop. That's along the central coast and the northern tip of Vancouver Island, but the rainfall warnings will still remain in effect. Higher amounts right along the western edge of the island with up to 150 millimeters and the lower mainland looking at that range between 50 and up to 100, 100 millimeters. So we've got some heavier pockets overnight. I wanted to highlight that especially for the Fraser Valley. That could impact your morning commute for the early morning hours. And then in behind it is when we'll start to see some breaks right across the region. And we'll, re we'll be rebounding. We've got some sunshine in the long-range forecast. So here's a quick snapshot for tomorrow. It'll be mainly cloudy with that chance for some showers. We'll see double digits between 10 and 11 degrees. A reminder, we're underneath a flood watch along the south coast and the lower Fraser is included within that. Check in with drivebc.ca if you're traveling along the mountain passes. I wanted to highlight, Coquihalla could see up to 60 millimeters of rain, the Rogers Pass with up to 25 centimeters of snow, the connector looking at the risk of freezing rain, and the Kootenai Pass, mixed precipitation, but changing over to rain, 75 and up to 100 millimeters continuing in towards Thursday morning. Unsettled though along the north coast, we've got the risk of thunderstorms, that instability for the southeastern corners could see that risk of freezing rain. All areas along the south coast we are going to be seeing the showers or the rain tapering off most areas across the lower mainland tomorrow mild Abbotsford up to 13 degrees our five-day forecast we're looking ahead towards Thursday Friday with some breaks in there a touch cooler between six and seven degrees tonight's weather window a great shot capturing a rainbow this one in the Okanagan taken by Greg guys beautiful wow. That's gorgeous. All right, thank you, Yvonne. Squire Barnes is here now. What do you have for us, Squire? Well, we're going to talk about how the Canucks deals this year have paid off handsomely so far. Also, big night tomorrow at Christine Sinclair Place and also across the street at Rogers. It's the Hughes Brothers reunion. We'll talk all about that. <laughs> Lots to look forward to. Also tonight... We have a lot of beautiful coats in stock right now. Making Spirits Bright on a budget. How the Found Boutique can help those who are lost. we call it stadium row that's what i'm calling it it's going to be stadium gonna, row there are two stadiums in a row yeah <laughs> that's why that works it's gonna that's be busy yeah it will be busy tomorrow night uh, christine sinclair's farewell game will be on one side of the street and on the other side of the street will be the hughes family reunion mom and dad will be there and the three boys it'll be the first time ever that all three hughes boys will be playing in the same nhl game of course quinn for the canucks and his younger brothers, Jack and Luke, for the New Jersey Devils. Now, Jack Hughes and Quinn Hughes have played against each other a number of times. In fact, Jack and the Devils have won five of those six meetings. But Luke has never been in an organized game with his older brothers. And like Quinn, Luke is also a defenseman. And like Quinn, he also wears number 43. And Jack wears 86, which is 43 times two. Interesting. So we'll see all three on the ice tomorrow night. 
So when Jim Rutherford was hired to run the Vancouver Canucks in December of 2021, the feeling was that he and his GM, Patrick Alvine, would be making more trades than a stockbroker because that's what Jim liked to do in his previous management jobs in Carolina and Pittsburgh. But it wasn't until this year that Jim and Patrick began to make their moves, like changing coaches, like trading away the captain, which led to subsequent trades after that. And then, of course, some off-season signings and more trades. And so far, these changes have, in fact, been for the better. Of course, all eyes tonight on Nikita Zadorov. Nikita Zadorov is the latest big addition to the Vancouver Canucks blue line, and we're not just talking about his 6-foot, 6-inch, 230-pound frame. Zadorov instantly bolstering a Canucks defensive core that's been vastly overhauled in the calendar year. And his addition alongside Tyler Myers should also take some stress off the Canucks' top pairing of Quinn Hughes and Philip Horonik, who've been averaging upwards of 25 minutes of ice time a game. Moving up is Quinn Hughes, he shoots and scores! We played our uh, top four guys uh, heavily here in November and, and we had a very t uh, condensed schedule to, to uh, start off with. So we, we felt that there was a need uh, to, to add a defenseman here to help our, our group and uh, uh, improve our team as well. Acquiring Zadora from the Flames for third and fifth round draft picks, a fine piece of work by Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin. Same for trading away a fifth round pick to the Maple Leafs for Sam Lafferty at the start of the season. It's a steal when you look at how valuable and versatile Lafferty is to the Canucks as he's notched six goals and 12 points in 25 games playing up and down the Canucks lineup. So give credit where credit is due. A very active Canucks front office. Jim has a history of making a lot of moves early when he was in Pittsburgh or whatever. Is this, part, is this just the perfect storm? Is it part of Jim's rationale to get your work done early and don't be in a situation where you're pressed up against the deadline if you're trying to improve your team? I, I think I'm uh, extremely fortunate to have uh, Jim Rutherford as my boss uh, with his experience. Uh, uh, his knowledge around the league and he's, he's, uh, he's not afraid to improve his team and I'm uh, very thankful to have him to uh, talk to every day and uh, the support. So I've learned a lot uh, over the years and uh, I can't say enough about Jim, but his priority is always to look at the big picture and improve our team. And that improvement is likely to continue as former Canuck and unrestricted free agent defenseman Ethan Bear remains on Vancouver's radar as Bear gets closer to returning from a shoulder injury that he suffered in the spring at the World Hockey Championship. Um, I've stayed in, in contact with his agent and uh, we'll see. He knows what we are here in Vancouver and how we play and, and uh, I think uh, that is one thing that I believe that uh, could benefit him uh, coming back from an injury like this. So we'll see when he's ready. Uh, we're going to continue to talk here. They expect around 45,000 fans tomorrow at Christine Sinclair Place. That's what it'll be called for one night. Of course, it's Christine Sinclair's farewell game as a Canadian international taking on Australia. She is the greatest scorer in women's soccer history. She was obviously a once-in-a-generation talent, the kind that nobody expects. But she doesn't want her time with Canada to be the only time this program succeeded. Sinclair believes Canada soccer needs to improve how they do things at the grassroots level so they might be able to find a new Christine Sinclair or somebody close to her talents. Uh, look, I think if there's one thing that in Canada we need to work on is like the pipeline to produce and develop like the next generation. Um, hopefully with a professional league coming to our country, it will, I think, I hope like start to address 
the lack of a pipeline, the lack of a, a pathway for young Canadians to reach the national team. I think for a long time in Canada, players have reached the national team by chance instead of design. Um, and yeah, hopefully in years to come that will change. Tomorrow will also be the uh, last game for Sophie Schmidt internationally. She grew up in Abbotsford. This will be the 226th time she has put on a Canadian uniform. So if anybody can speak to the greatness of Christine Sinclair, it's most definitely Sophie. She's like the ruthless, finesse finisher that we all know and love. Um, but she lives the Canadian DNA, the grit. Um, I don't think we would be the team we are had that identity if that didn't shine through in our captain. Um, so like you said, she is willing to work hard, put her body on the line. Um, but for me, it's just like her soccer IQ is just unreal. As a player, I love playing with her. I know where she's going to be, what she's going to do. And I can play her the worst ball, and she's going to take an amazing touch to make me look good. Um, she's definitely a teammate that makes everyone around her better. And now from one famous Sophie to another famous <laughs> Sophie, along with Chris. She's done more with her life, I think, than I have. <laughs> Thank you, Squire. All right, a bargain boutique where you'll want to spend your money. That's next on the News Hour. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in the newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, we are staying on top of the storm tonight and the flooding that's causing problems. Have a look. This is one of the off-ramps from the Knight Street Bridge. On the Vancouver side, there is a lake that at least one vehicle has fallen victim to. As well, the system is not good news for the local mountains. It is raining heavily on the North Shore right now, threatening to wash away the tiny bit of snow already on the slopes. And the freezing level is still rising. So we'll have a full roundup of this atmospheric river tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie? It's miserable out there. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Well, you were certainly busy today. BC Place was a hive of activity for the 17th annual Cause We Care Holiday Package Drive. An assembly line of volunteers stuffing backpacks with $250 worth of treats, toques, and a grocery store gift card and all sorts of other treats. The 1,200 bags will be distributed to single mother-led low-income families throughout the Lower Mainland. Cause We Care Foundation supports single moms and their children with supportive housing, programs and grants. But it all started back in 2007 with the package drive. What it does is it gives these families, single mothers, who are feeling very alone, a feeling of hope, and a feeling of being seen by an organization. We handwrite every card. We, it, it does have an impact from a feeling of loneliness and feeling seen. Cause We Care gave out 50 care packages when it all began back in 2007 and since then has distributed 10,000 packages to single moms and their families. Thanks to all the volunteers, including you, who were down there making it happen. So, great stuff. And there's another unique way to give back this holiday season. 
just by shopping. <laughs> the Union Gospel Mission's found thrift boutique in New Westminster is a social enterprise providing proceeds to the local community and artisans. Janet Brown takes us on a tour. Welcome to Found. Come on in. It is a fashion collective. We have a lot of beautiful coats in stock right now. With quality brand name clothing all throughout the store. This one is 60 bucks, but as you can see, the sale price was $298. There are also shoes, jewelry. These are rose gold. Even Royal Dalton figurines. Whatever you have on your Christmas list, pretty sure you can find something that everyone will love here. All proceeds of sales here go back into the Union Gospel Mission yes. to help support meal programs and other services. 100% net proceeds go toward the things that we do that help people overcome homelessness, poverty, addictions. And local artisans also sell their products in the shop. We have the work here of 20 over artisans who are local to BC. So you can see things like soaps, you can see things like uh, body scrubs, you can see things like little candles. So we really like to feature our local artisans and showcase the talent that's here in BC. Nancy Wingham is one of the local artisans. We make uh, pecan products for skin, hair and body. Uh, all of the pecans come from my dad's farm in northern Mexico. And while Nancy was setting up her space, she was also able to find a blazer in the store. I just purchased this one uh, for the interview and you know, it was under $20. Given the economic times, this shop is also filling a need in the community. So we've had people come in and also say this is the best thrift store they've ever been to. And so the response has been overwhelmingly positive. The shop is closed today, getting ready for customers. They hope will decide to support local this holiday season and save some money at the same time. Janet Brown, Global News. Get all your holiday shopping done. Just like that. Easy. <laughs> Help some people out in the process. Okay, uh, last word on weather because weather is a problem tonight, Yvonne. A big problem. Rain will continue to be heavy overnight and then taking us in towards tomorrow morning. Still heavy, especially in towards the Fraser Valley. Do keep that in mind for your morning commute. Uh, but it'll taper off for most areas as we get in mid-morning. It'll be a much needed break and then some sunshine in the long-range forecast as well. Good looking week ahead at least. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. All right, the umbrella's going to get a workout tonight. That's right. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for watching, everyone.